bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, you know the weakness of your servant. And yet, you can multiply a couple loaves for 5,000. And Lord, you can speak through a donkey. So this morning we pray that everyone could hear your voice speaking clearly. And they would know and respond to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has laid on my heart to read from the 73rd Psalm this morning, Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, and violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, and behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish, 
Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Lord, bless the reading of this word. Some of the young people and I were working our way through Proverbs. It's a very uh, grounding experience for me. Everybody needs sort of a map. We have all this information coming in at us and we'd be overwhelmed if we didn't put some sort of a, a way of uh, understanding what's important. And for every human being, part of that map is what's right and wrong. What's, what's a good way of handling things? What's a bad way of handling things? And Proverbs gives us that map. And it's from the heart of a father to a, their child. You know, son, keep the instruction. It'll be a garland to your neck and uh, to your head and a chain around your neck. It'll be, an, it, it'll be a, something that will do you good. And, and yet, when you read these Proverbs, they're not the same thing as a promise from God. When, when the proverb says, train up a child in the way will he, he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, that's not a guarantee. It's not a promise that, oh, you know, if that person rebelled, it's your fault, parent. I mean, you better examine your heart, and I do, and I know I've failed in many ways, and, and I plead for forgiveness from the Father. But it's not... It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that do this right thing and you'll be blessed. It, it, in general, it's true. Well, we have sayings like that too. We say cheaters never prosper, right? But maybe that's true in general, and it, but it's not true in every particular. There are cheaters who prosper. And then what do we make of it? Do we allow it to make us wonder if this whole map is worth it. This whole idea that let me choose the wise way that will help me prosper, but this person who's breaking all the rules is prospering even more. Am I missing out? Am I following rules for the sake of rules? So here in this psalm, we have an honest struggle with that. Job also had that issue. His, his comforters came and they had this black and white, you know, uh, vision, you know, do right, God blesses you. Do wrong, God curses you. Therefore, God's obviously cursing you. You must have done something wrong. Just admit it already. And so it goes for like 40 chapters back and forth of accusation and, 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 and Job protesting that he was innocent and he kept his integrity because it's not always like that it's not always true that in this life cheaters never prosper it's not always true in this life that if you uh, act with integrity that that you will prosper financially you will prosper health-wise you will pro good people get sick 
People have horrific accidents and die young. People who are godly and have integrity sometimes suffer and have problems in their life, difficult problems, painful problems. So what then? Do we say, I've washed my hands in vain all day long. What was the point of it all? His feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? Because I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity. We can think of our previous generation. Their choices were a little more stark than ours, right? Young men didn't get married, actually, when they were in their early 20s. I, I just found out that uh, my grandfather had to wait till he was 31 before he got married because they knew that as soon as they became of military age, they would have a tough decision and they would, if they followed their convictions and they chose not to take a weapon to serve in war, they would be sent to prison as my grandfather was. And so they, rather than having their poor wife with child and raising kids without them, they often deferred that. They made choices and they knew those choices were consequences. But you can imagine being a young man in that situation and saying like, you know, here, look at all my friends, married, having kids and living prosperous lives and full and here I am alone, a withered tree, you know, suffering unjustly in prison just because I'm following and other Christians don't do it. Other people don't do it. Why, why am I suffering so alone and uh, unfairly? And is it worth it? Our struggles may be different. We don't face that particular challenge. But does that not mean that we sometimes look around and feel like, you know, we're missing out. FOMO. That other people who, who don't live by biblical restrictions or maybe even some of our, our um, a church order that we know helps preserve godly uh, heritage and godly uh, lifestyle. You know, other people don't do that and they're, they're free to enjoy certain things. What would it be like to enjoy those things? And is it worth it for me to give up? Is it worth it for me to grow old and be single in this, in, in, in this church? Is it worth it for me to give up on You know, the enjoyments in this life that all my friends around me at school they're indulging in all these things and and uh, what's the benefit of being separate being the goody two-shoes 
being the despised one who, you know, who gets all the, the uh, you know, who, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? And, or all kinds of backlash if you are willing to stand up for your convictions. Or maybe you want to do the, the, the chameleon thing. I, I remember trying that strategy, pretending as if I was like them, even though I kept myself from that, but yeah, it was just a slippery slope. My feet were on slippery slopes. Envious of the wicked. Because to our senses, to what we can see and hear and touch and taste, this is world is all we can sense. And it seems that, you know, the culture has moved on from some of these old-fashioned ideals. And many times we've thought about it here and meditated as, as, as a body about, well, you know, what are the consequences of, of abandoning ideas about gender? What are the consequences about abandoning, you know, traditional morality? And, and, and it's not like you can't see in general, you know, with the big vision that society is hurting because they've left biblical categories, a biblical map of what it means to um, be a man and a woman and to be united in marriage and to raise your children in the fear and, and, and nurture of the Lord and what it means to, to keep yourself pure until you're married, what it means to, to, um, to uh, guard your heart, what it means to guard your tongue, uh, all these things that the Bible teaches, you know, are no, are, society's moved on from that, and you feel like you're left behind. And we can see that, well, it's not like people in general have healthy marriages. There are particulars, there are people who have happy marriages. There are people who, who can be committed to each other. Who are, there are people who can grow up in well-adjusted homes. There are, but there are also plenty of cases where we see consequences of, but, but today we're, we're looking at it from a different point of view. Today we're not saying, if you go down that road, you know, if you're foolish, you will reap the consequence of being foolish in this life. Sometimes there are exceptions, and that doesn't happen. Does that mean when I look around and say, hey, that person looks like they're enjoying life, and they're not being restricted like me? Is there, that happens. You may feel like you are missing out because you're committed to following God because you're committed to your family's rules. You may be committed to your church family's rules. You may, you've made certain commitments in your life and as a result, you feel like other people who haven't made those commitments seem to have it easier. They seem to, everything just seems to like 
flow for them. And, and we see, I mean, this is definitely, you know, not today we wouldn't call someone blessed because their eyes stood out with fatness. That's just not how we today measure, you know, prosperity. You know, you got to be tanned and fit because you have money and discipline to go to the gym. But, uh, you know, we can see those, those, those things vary with time, you know. A couple hundred years ago, you would be considered more well-off if you could stay out of the sun and had white skin, right? You know, it's, it's all with time. Back then, if you had enough money that you could eat every day, you know, and you were actually prospering, right? But whether this, even so, we can see this idea that they've got it good and they're enjoying life. And I'm not, and I'm having troubles. And then he's doubting himself, says like, what was the point? Why, why did I not only keep my hands clean, I tried to keep my heart clean in verse 13, and if I, if, I, if I open up and if I share these things with my community of believers, I'm just going to be a stumbling block and discourage them. And I, so I feel like i got to keep it inside because I know this is going to just demoralize other people. And then he finally came into the sanctuary of God. I hope when we come into this church, when you come into a place, that place has certain associations with it. It's got certain set of um, common assumptions, a certain set of what people are expected to think or do in this place. And, and, and certainly in your classroom, there's gonna be certain expected assumptions in your workplace. There's certain expected things and you know there's a mentality, there is a culture my hope is that when we come into this place, our focus goes up. There's a reason why we have a high ceiling. It's, it's to try to draw our thoughts in our, we try to, to draw not only the eye, but the heart to think up and about God in the big picture. The danger is we might come here and, and in the culture and association, maybe I wonder what people think about how I'm dressed today, or then what they think about all these particulars. And that's, if that's what we come in here thinking about, about other people's thoughts about me and possible criticisms and how they respond and react to me, we're missing the point, we're missing the blessing coming into here there's a reason why we call it a sanctuary it's a sanctuary is a safe place it's a place you you go to to get away from the danger and oppression and so this is the sanctuary where we can come and we know that this is a place where there is the fear of God where this is a place where we can come to worship God this is a place where we can be free from all the, the um, acidic, corrosive, was the word I'm looking for, the corrosive 
atmosphere we're surrounded with. It eats at you. It eats at your thinking. It eats at your faith. It makes you wonder and, and second guess. Am I doing the right thing? Not that this place is going to convince you, but in this place you can be free to look at the big picture, to look to God, to look to the eternal truths. And that's what it was for him. I went into the sanctuary of God. And then understood I their end. I didn't go to the sanctuary of the children of Israel. And then understood I that they were breaking the law of God. No, I, I understood that this is God's sanctuary. And I come here for him and not for my parents. Not because of what will so-and-so think. Not because this is my way of getting my checkpoint for the week. I come to here to get away from corrosive culture and to, to, to be alone between me and my God. And to, to get in touch with what's really important, what's really lasting and enduring, and where is this all going to? Another thing that we have as human beings is not only a sense of justice and right and wrong, we have this sense that there's got to be a meaning or a purpose of where this is all going. It's, it's built into you. God has placed it in you as he's put your, his image in you. And you have the sense that there's got to be something more than an animal existence. That's, that's what he says at the end as he's repenting, as he gets it and he comes to God and he says, my heart was grieved. I was pricked in my reins and, and in my, uh, my, my soul and my whole heart of that's in control. I, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. I was, I was thinking like an animal. Uh, a beast that, that, that lives for today, that lives to, to satisfy its belly and, 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 and no more. I was, I was on an animal plane and not on a human plane. Because the Bible recognizes you are not just a highly evolved animal. You are something more. You have the image of God in you and you have an awareness that not only is there right and wrong, you have an awareness that there you are here for a purpose. You have awareness that there's more than even this life, that something exists beyond the grave. You have that, and as you come into this place and as you come under the word of God, that context resets your priorities and all this envy of these people who are enjoying life today and having a headache tomorrow, or maybe a broken marriage, or maybe a disease, or maybe nothing. And they can die without any problem. But even then, that's the issue. What then? How will it end? How will it end for you and I? How will it end? When we stand before the judgment throne of God. Then I recognize 
all the self-determination, I did my way, I was in control, all the polished social media image. You know, social media, I was just thinking about this morning, isn't a new thing. Human beings have always cultivated an image that they try to project, that they hope other people will like and respond to positively. It's, that's been around for millennia. It's just technology has allowed us to kind of like do that with even people not even able to see us and be able to manipulate that more and be even more selective about what we can see and airbrush and, 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 and put forward. But it's really about the, our hearts, right? But you come before God and all this, you know, image and masks and prosperity and I did it, and look what I accomplished, and what you, pieces of paper you have mounted on the wall, and, 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 and the trophies, and the CV, the resume, all that stuff. You're before God. All that's gone. It means nothing, it's chaff, right? And now, it's was I on the rock? Or was I a slippery place? Was I on the rock of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me? Because if I'm on what I've accomplished, I'm in big trouble. If I'm on what my moral high ground that I can say, look how much better I am than Joe and Fred, and then all of a sudden I come before God and it's like, <laughs> I'm in big trouble. I have nothing to say of a thousand questions. Unless I'm on the rock of Jesus Christ. Unless I, I'm based on the mercy and the grace undeserved of a God who died for me, who's willing to exchange his life for mine, willing to exchange his righteousness for my filth, willing to take my place of punishment so that I can stand before God in white, his white, not mine. My confidence in his grace, not my strength and my record. And in that confidence, I can come and, and say, Abba, Father. But those who could who could cultivate this appearance of, of arrogant superiority and strength and comparative wealth and affluence and, and whether it's whatever, when they stand before God, what's that gonna be worth? How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? You cross that threshold. So we know our dear brother Laza is at that threshold. We don't know from moment to moment when he's going to cross it. For him, it's something we can anticipate. For us, we don't know when something might come out of the blue. But in that moment, we're brought before God. And if my confidence in myself, then I'm utterly consumed with terrors as a dream. This existence 
is so transient and temporary. When you come into God's presence, it's like you're waking up from a dream. You're here, you think this is everything, and then you wake up and, whoa, this is reality. When you wake up from a dream, you know, all that stuff that seems so real, the nightmare that was scaring you, the, the place that seems so tantalizing, beautiful, but it's gone, and you realize now I'm in reality. This is what is permanent and, and, and what is, is real and concrete. That was just something my imagination was constructing for me. Now, now, when you come out of this existence into eternity, into the very presence of God, then you're going to wake up from something that you realize that, that, that life I was building for myself that seems so all-important that I was selling my soul for, it's just a dream. It was over in a blink of an eye, and it's gone. I can't bring it back. Just like you can't recall and you wish you could get back in that dream, you can get back and cross that threshold back, and now you are in what is real and what will endure for all eternity. This is, eternity is what is really real. Anything you touch and see is transient. His confidence, he recognized, he, he humbles himself as he was being like a beast and says, therefore I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. His confidence wasn't that, look, I've washed my hands all the day. Look at all the good things I've done. That's the slippery slope and, and, and the slippery place that he and the other slip from. But, but when his confidence goes from him to the fact that God is holding him in his right hand, the God who is eternal, who is infallible, then the confidence is not misplaced. Then he is on the solid rock. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. That's our, our, our hope as our brother Laza faces that, is that he is at that threshold, and his confidence is in the right hand of God that is holding him, not that he's holding God's right hand, that God's right hand is holding him, is how it's written here. And in that confidence, he can say, I am going to be received to glory. Not a glory I have deserved by my record, but a glory that Jesus Christ has paid for. And I love these, this verse here. As, as he resets, as he comes into the presence of God and he resets what's real, what's lasting and what's important, he says, I get it now. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. You know, the Buddhists, that's their solution, right? If you can finally detach yourself from the things you care about, you can't suffer. That's their solution to suffering. But it's incomplete. There's a kernel of truth that, yes, I'm attached to, you know, this particular goal and I don't get it or I'm attached to this person and I lose them or I'm attached to, you know. But God wants me to actually let go of these things too. But not to be empty in mind and heart, but to be filled with the one thing 
that will never disappoint. He says, whom have I in heaven but thee? You alone are my desire, my hope, what fills me. There's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. So when I take my eyes off Jesus and I look to people to make me happy, that I get disappointed and hurt. When I look to things to satisfy me and make me feel full, that I feel empty and wretched. But when I can say, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. That's when I'm on the solid rock. That's when I'm secure. That's when I'm truly safe in that sanctuary. You can come in the sanctuary, but you may not be safe from those corroding thoughts. You may be having them right now saying, when is Edmund finally going to stop talking and I can get back to what I really want to talk about with my friends? You can have corroding thoughts here. This is only a sanctuary. When you can say this, it's only a sanctuary when you're in God's hand and you can say, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart fail. He's being honest, he's being real. As I have to say as well, I fail. My strength fails, I'm getting old, I can't remember stuff anymore. My heart fails, I make wrong decisions that I deeply regret. But God, but God is the strength of my heart in my portion forever. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for stuff here. Why? Build my sandcastles in a dream that's going to be gone in an instant. But my portion is God who loves me. And he's the one that gives strength when I don't have strength. He strengthens my heart, my core of my being. When even, even when my feet have almost slipped. Though they that are far from thee shall perish. It's destroyed, although they'll go a whoring from thee. If, 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 you, if you make the mistake of saying, I'm going to leave my husband and I'm going to go and find, I mean, that's God, right? The source and supply, and I'm going to go find it elsewhere because it looks so alluring. You're going to be, you're going to lose it. You will perish. But, but, but for me, and if you want this to be a sanctuary, if you want to be safe, May this be true for you too, but it is good for me. It's good for us to draw near to God. I have put my trust not in my strength, my riches, my beauty, my intelligence. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare not my works, but his works. And that's why we're here this morning. May that be true. That's why we're here this morning. We're here to draw near to God and to declare His works and have that sanctuary. May that be true of each and every one of us. This morning we've heard a very sobering message 
not packed with a lot of theology that the Apostle Paul would have in his letters to the Romans and Corinthians. But giving us the big picture. The big picture that we need to ask ourselves those four very important questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And I think that if we ask ourselves those four questions and truthfully answer them or try to answer them, we'll know the answer without a lot of deep theology. We know enough. We know enough to damn us. But we also know enough to know where are we going, why we are here, who we are, and how we got here. And I pray that it is our sincere desire, as Brother Edmund mentioned, that while we are here, at least in this sanctuary, we know we, we are here for an hour or so, that these questions will continually go through our minds and that we know where to find the answers to. We know where it is. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was testifying before Agrippa and Felix, he went through his testimony, he went through the, the history of the Jewish nation. He says, O King Agrippa, do you believe? Do you believe the prophets? He said, I know you believe the prophets. And the king said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Is that the case with you? You know the prophets, you believe the prophets. Yet you're lingering on for that. Perhaps there's something else out there. I pray that the word we've heard this morning may penetrate deep into our hearts to both converted and unconverted alike. That we may apply ourselves to know what our meaning is and what our purpose is and how in the end everything makes sense when we enter the, the sanctuary of God, when we look into his word of, of life, that fount of crystal, that's able to revive us, it's able to give us that big picture of where we're going. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.